0: The show! You have all made it through the damn You have all made it, made it, made it. Right, 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 Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 281. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, very, very timely. We're talking vaccines. That's right. I've got Brendan Reed. He is a postdoctoral fellow at University of Colorado Anschutz specializing in immunology. Now, granted, most of his specialty is in type 1 diabetes, but he's an immunologist who has followed this closely. He received a vaccine trial, so he's put his money where his mouth is. And this is his whole milieu, man. What can I say? I don't know as much about vaccines or the human body as he does, and he was recommended to me by former guest John Connolly, which I am deeply, deeply grateful for because this is a show I wanted to do. I've had a lot of other obligations kind of tugging at my sleeve here, and I didn't know where to start, fell out of the sky, fell into my lap. It's phenomenal. Now, Brendan is a terrific guy, a thoughtful scientist, a talented professional, and on this week's show, I want you to bear with me in the first part of it because... We're spending some time talking about diabetes, talking about what a pain in the ass it is to put citations at the end of a research paper, things like that. But what we get into is dispelling some of the myths about this COVID-19 vaccine, the ones from Moderna and Pfizer. There's some hesitancy out there. There's some people saying, well, I don't know what's in it. I'm concerned about how fast it was developed. I ask him point blank, both of those things. Are they injecting you with live virus? How did this thing get developed so quickly? Because seriously, something like HIV has been around since the 80s. There's no vaccine for that. Yet coronavirus, COVID-19 comes up, and within a year, we have at least two really good vaccines. I can understand why that would give some people pause. But what Brendan does is he tells a very, very interesting story. And I liken it to stories that you hear about Hollywood. It's like, look at this overnight success. What people don't know is there are 10, 15, 20 years going on in the background. Where what you're doing, no one's paying attention to. And you're just toiling away. And then all of a sudden, something happens where you go, oh, this guy or this gal. And you go, look at that overnight success. Amazing. That's kind of a similar story to what's happened with this vaccine. It got across the finish line very, very quickly. But there was lots and lots of years of work, thankless work, hard work, unrecognized work in a lot of ways that went on to get us to where we are today. So this is my own little public service announcement. I believe in science. And it's kind of a nice change of pace for me personally because I spend a lot of shows talking to comedians or musicians or entertainers. My most recent show with Tammy from Spirit Forest was phenomenal, talking about being a vlogger and going camping and outdoor life and things like that. Before that, I talked politics with Josh Penry. So hey, let's do some science here for a change. It's John of all trades, after all. I owe you that. And if I can do a little good by quieting some of the fears that exist out there, by contributing in my own small way, greater understanding about that which affects us all, then I am happy with the work I'm doing, and I'm proud to bring this show to you. So, quick plug before we get going. Our sponsor here is Four Degrees. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. And the reason I bring this up is because if you have a campaign... If you have a product, if you have an idea that needs to get out there and be seen by the people who need to see it most, Four Degrees is the firm that can help you do that. They will build your website. They will help you get your messaging right. And then they will get it on the platforms where the people who need to see it most are. So whether that's online advertising, whether that's social media marketing, whether that's an email campaign, whatever method you need here, Four Degrees will tailor your campaign to make sure that it lands flush. So hit them up if you need any of those services. The number four D E G R E dot E S. Now then we got some learning to do. Let's get to episode 281 of the John of all trades podcast. It features Brendan Reed. He is a postdoctoral fellow at University of Colorado and shoots specializing in immunology and his episode starts right now.
1: It's a specific one for that journal, Frontiers in Immunology. I think. It, I think it's like a Harvard style one.
0: Okay. Wow. I don't know that style guide. Mostly when I was so when I was getting my master's, we usually used MLA, it. which is like the easiest. And then uh, we had one professor who used to make us do Chicago style. And <laughs> dude, Chicago style was brutal with the endnotes. Like footnotes okay. are one thing. I, footnotes are fine, and I actually quite yeah. like those. Endnotes, the worst. So. Oh,
1: absolutely. I've, it's, it's definitely a love-hate, because you're like, well, by, by the time I've gotten references into this paper, that means that I'm well on my way to submitting this. But by the time nope. also that I've put into this, knowing that I'm going to sit there for at least a day trying to re-derive, because, you know, you really do want to give credit where credit's due. It's important. Uh, and it's the currency, you know, of academic science. Like, you either publish or you perish, and... You want to help those other people, you know? Where, where if yeah, if I can plug in a couple extra citations because it, you know, helps someone else, why not?
0: Totally, yeah. You want to lift up the work that matters to you. Number one, number two, you don't ever want to leave anything to chance in terms of plagiarism. No, and so, because that is such a death knell. Oh, and-, and
1: it's such a slippery slope too. You're like, I don't think that this was ever this thought was ever had somewhere else, but maybe it was. No, you're like, do I
0: need to? Like if I'm defining immunity, like do I need to cite the definition of that or or is that commonly accepted? Like you're using terms that you think everyone knows, but if you're using them in a different context, you almost have to like redefine them. It's awful. Anyway, well, glad you got that done. What's the article on again? Remind me.
1: It's actually – so it's an invited review. So I am currently studying why the immune system specifically – you know, during this pandemic, we've heard all about T cells and B cells and antibodies and whatnot. Why did the T cells in your body attack your pancreas um, in type 1 diabetes and result in destroying the beta cells, which are responsible for producing insulin and regulating blood glucose levels? which is obviously an important everyday biological function that is necessary. And without it, we uh, we die.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you my limited knowledge here. I have a cat who I give insulin shots to twice a day.
1: Is it a fat cat? <laughs>
0: uh, he was. <laughs> uh, he's not so much anymore. Uh, sure. But, I mean, it's been seven years of giving him insulin shots twice a day which I I calculated this out at one point. So let's figure, let's let's call it 350, right? Sure. Uh, days in a year. That's twice a day. That's 700 times a year. So that's roughly 4,900 times that, that we've done this. And being conservative here, that means I've done this 2,500 times. People get freaked <laughs> out by needles. It really, really doesn't bother me anymore because it's literally every single part of my day.
1: Yeah, I remember uh in or high school
0: part of every single day. I said that weird. Sure.
1: In uh in high school, one of my best friends had type one diabetes and I just was amazed at the amount of times he was finger pricking himself thinking no about right? Being at the pediatrician or whatever and they do it and he'd be like, Oh no, please, don't <laughs> do it and you know, he's doing it. I don't know, checking his blood sugar probably at least a dozen times a day back then before, you know, now they've got continuous glucose monitors, which have really, you know, changed the standard of care totally uh, in type one diabetes. But uh, yeah, and the amount of times he's just poking it, you know, you know, filling himself with insulin, filling himself with insulin. And yeah. it's, you know, it, when I came to do my postdoc, I wasn't specifically here because I was so interested in autoimmune diabetes. I really wanted to work with my current boss. That was, you know, I kind of partially dragged him out of retirement and, and this is, this is a, a, an example of being persistent and advocating for yourself does actually work. Um, and <laughs> Go I, didn't take, on. Right, I didn't take no for an answer when he said, oh, I'm getting ready to build guitars, you know, uh, for the rest of my life. And whatever I said, well, let's, you know, keep doing this, but yeah, it wasn't specifically diabetes, but now, I, I think back in each chapter of my life, I've had one or a couple friends, you know, who have become very close relationships and I've seen the, the impact, you know, I haven't felt it right. I'm, I'm not the person, you know, actually delivering themselves with insulin and having to think about what they're eating constantly yeah. because of the amount of carbs that, you know, are associated in the amount of units of insulin that need to, you know, offset that, but it's a really debilitating disease. And, and it does have an effect on your, you know, your longevity of your life. You know, and the more that I got into it, I, 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 feel very, you know, lucky, I guess, to have had the opportunity to work on it and enlighten myself into a disease that affects so many people. In a way, you know, some, some, you know, disorders, uh, you know, they kind of come in ebb and flow, you know, and it's, I'm thinking about multiple sclerosis, for instance. Um, you kind of have these latent periods and then that you'll have these flare ups and, you know, also equally debilitating, uh, immune disorder, but there's a constant reminder for diabetics. And I, I think as I got older and then, you know, I have two small kids now I'm thinking, man, this is like the amount, this toll this takes on a family, this toll this takes on a person, you know, thinking I can never be without my insulin, you know, or whatever. It's really made me feel like my work was very important because in graduate school, it, I, you know, I was, I was studying how T cells, you know, get activated, you know, as like a very basic concept. And I've taken that expertise to figure out what exactly is it within the setting of type one diabetes that, you know, contributes to turning your immune system against your own body. Like why is it that, you know, so many people don't have this happen. And then there's this, you know, subset that does. And I think that, uh, it's been interesting, I guess how that's all unfolded and yeah. And then I'm getting ready to finish my postdoc now and, you know, get back to the, this paper and it's a review and it's kind of, when you're writing one of these things, you provide a historical context as to, you know, how we as a scientific community have gotten to, you know, this level of knowledge and who's contributed and what about, you know, our work and, and my, and my boss's spin on things have, you know, led to a new discovery in the way, you know, how, you know, what are the implications for that in this disease setting? And it's been, it's actually been kind of a really, sweet and sour i guess you know there's been a yin and a yang to my feelings with this because it's like i've been working here for five years and it's you know waning right it's about yeah. to end and i'm about to go on to that next set you know stage in my career and my boss is getting ready to retire so it's like this is a nice kind of cap to it all end cap but back to the fact that putting in references really does suck and <laughs>
0: Well, you, you landed the plane nicely there.
1: Uh, so. yeah, my, my brain is a little bit tangential in that way. Like, I'll try to get back, but we...
0: No, that's alright. Um, that was a great introduction. So this is Brendan Reed, and you are a postdoctoral fellow at University of Colorado Anschutz, specializing in immunology. Particularly, you do a lot of work, uh, with type 1 diabetes. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. And we were introduced by John Connolly, who was one of my favorite recent episodes of this show, who is an aeronautical engineer uh, and also a sci-fi novelist, which that that episode, I mean, we <laughs> I could have spent a month with him and his partner, Tony, who, that, yeah. again, very different type of show that I did with him. But I, I love when I meet people and that begets meeting other interesting folks. Sure. Because your subject matter expertise is kind of very much of The Times in particular. Yeah, Um, definitely. I've
1: never felt more relevant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's got to be both rewarding. And do you ever feel any intimidation from that? Is that something where you go, wow, okay, this is my moment. I have like a responsibility here. Does that ever weigh on you?
1: Yes, I would say it does. It's also very frustrating, right? Um, Frustrating because, you know, I'm not going to get too political here, but we've just ended a term of presidency where science was not, you know, considered to be, you know, you know, a pinnacle and a priority where, you know, during the Clinton era, we exploded biomedically, you know, with our research in the United States and really just had some incredible gains um, in terms of our knowledge base. Can, and all can, sorts can you give me
0: an example that kind of illustrates that something that uh, broke through during the Clinton era?
1: Sure. Um, before the Clinton era, you kind of had, HIV and during, but you know, during the eighties, but during the nineties is really when that started breaking, up, you know, you really breaking into, as well as the way I think that people started thinking about cancer, started thinking about how the immune system plays a role in cancer. And it's, you know, this was definitely more in its infancy in terms of like the, you know, conceptualization of this. But now since then, the last couple decades have, you know, largely focused on how can we manipulate the immune system and basically in the way that, you know, your immune system is turned on yourself in type 1 diabetes and attacked itself, you know, the pancreas, how can we get it to do that and attack a tumor? Because a tumor is just a self-tissue, right, that started growing inappropriately. So it's autoimmunity and, uh, cancer immunology lay really on right, right on the other one side of a knife edge from each other. And the concepts that, you know, fuel the therapies that are ongoing, you know, both in the academic and basic science and also in the clinic, they, they've all, they've kind of come, um, from one another. And it is really a little intimidating, but it's also, I've had some really great experiences where, I was getting my, my, uh, prescription checked for, uh, for my eyes, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe. And I was talking to an optometrist and I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, I, I try to, you know, engage with people, you know, at you know, to whatever degree they're willing to. And I, you know, I asked her, so how, you know, how are you feeling about this? Have you guys been busy? You know, whatever with the pandemic, you, you know? how, what's your cleaning procedure? I'd like to know because you're about to (laughs) stick all this stuff on my face. Sure. Um, although I, I was the first appointment of the day, so I had that going for me, but she went on to say that she was very, feeling very uncomfortable about getting the vaccine and that she had been offered it and, you know, wasn't given it yet. This this is a
0: medical professional saying this? Yeah, medical
1: professional. And I was, I was really shocked, but I guess also with the amount of misinformation floating around there, maybe I wasn't so surprised, but given the fact that, yeah, you have a medical professional who's undergone a certain level of education, and I would imagine given those uh, facts, you would think they probably know how to sort through information that may or may not be fact or fiction. I took it as an opportunity to kind of break down and explain the biology in a simple way that isn't scary, you know, as, you know, they're manipulating with these vaccines, a normal biological process. And what's really incredible about it is the timeline in which it occurred, how quickly we were able to get something.
0: Right. And but be- before we get there, so we're, we're jumping ahead just a little bit. Sure. Um, first, I'd, I'd just like to say it's interesting what you said about Clinton and HIV and understanding sure. the response to that, because... Uh, one of the things that many, many people over history, I'm not going to be the first person to articulate this, the response to HIV by the Reagan administration was pretty appalling. Yeah. Um, and and you can draw kind of, um, I would say, a fair parallel between the way that that administration responded to HIV to the way that the Trump administration responded to COVID. Absolutely. Uh, and, and coronavirus, because uh, I had on this show, it was a I want to say a molecular microbiologist, sure. um, Yuri Bulow, and he talked about how you know we used to have under Obama and before uh, a global pandemic response team the The Trump administration did a solid job of dismantling that, and I signed off on that <laughs> were, were were that in place, I, I would say the odds are better that we would have responded to this a little bit more effectively. I, I don't think I'm being overtly political when saying that. I know you said you didn't necessarily want to get political, yeah. But if if that's the case, I I don't think that is in hard dispute.
1: No, um, no, I don't think I don't. I th- I think the numbers don't lie. No, <laughs> yeah.
0: no, I, I I think the numbers bear that out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I I'm inclined to agree with you. Now, with that said, I I would say the environment that creates or or the factors that create such an environment where there's concern about vaccines are a corollary or maybe an offshoot of that overall philosophy. Sure. Right? I mean, you said uh, this previous administration did not value science the way it probably could have or <laughs> perhaps should have. Um, so to that end, it's interesting that even filtering down to a medical professional who works in the milieu... Yeah. Can say, I'm worried about what's in the vaccine. And it's, it's amazing to me the more we have gone on with this, how important tone setting from the top actually is. You were about to get into describing how the vaccine, and again, we're kind of all over the place here, but how the vaccine actually just, what did, how did you put it? Enhances the body's natural process?
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Is that right? So, and I think you wanted to go into that because when we first met, yeah you talked about how like you want to help dispel some of the fear that's out there, and I'd love for you to help do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know, quickly diverting back to the idea that I look at the uh, opportunity of being frustrated for four years, you know, so so much about you know science not being taken seriously. And then within the last year, just this whole thing occurring in the in the manner in which it did. The, the fact that you have basically Trump was handed a silver platter, right, and said, "Would you like to be reelected?" Hmm. Here, ev- here is the common, you know, the great equalizer is this virus. No matter where you are, who you are, you can get sick with this. And here are you have Dr. Fauci and all these other professionals telling you what to do, and he just doesn't listen. But anyway, I, I really – it's a
0: bold strategy, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off for. Him it did I, not <laughs> no
1: it, it it did not and i and i appreciate the opportunity to get to talk about this because i'm a biologist i love thinking about the way that you know our body works so there's two different well three different types of vaccines out there right now the most readily available and the first ones that were approved by the fda were the mrna vaccines from moderna and pfizer and the, basically the way that those work is you have mRNA, you know, you have the do- basic dogma of cell biology. You have transcription of a gene, then makes RNA. Then you translate that RNA using ribosomes into protein. And that protein is then, uh, carries out all the different biological functions. There's a lot more research that's coming out actually that RNA itself can play its own role biologically and, you know, in the way that proteins do. But the way what what's happening here is we're taking RNA, putting it into your body. It has a very short half life. It's very unstable. So people are saying, Oh, I'm worried about it, you know, uh associating, you know, in a way that a virus does into my genome and, you know, and me having becoming a mutant or, you know, there's all sorts of wild ideas out there, but that's not, That it's not, it's impossible for that to happen.
0: Right. Um, Is, is RNA the thing that has the microchip in it too?
1: Yes, that must be, it's microchip with a really small microchip because you're talking about, you know, nucleotide bases. Right. This RNA then will become uh, enclosed in your cells and then, your cells will start, will see that message and say, okay, I'm going to translate this into the protein, which in this case, the RNA encodes for the viral spike protein, which is what the virus uses on the outside in order to infect a host cell. It uses interaction between the spike protein and a receptor. uh, I think it's called ACE2, I believe. Through that interaction, it is able to then get in and infect and do all the things that it does. But what you're doing is creating that protein and then uh, giving your – there's also some the, – these things called an adjuvant associated with this that turn on your immune system and say, hey, you should be paying attention to this. You should mount a, a response to this. So now you have this protein. Your immune system is told, okay, I need to then see what's weird about this protein. Okay, it's a protein I've never seen before. I should start making antibodies and activating T-cells and whatever else. I need to clear this and get it out of my body. So that happens during your primary shot, and then you come back with a boost. And during that boost, this is something I really hope people take home. You're going to most likely feel symptoms, and the younger you are, it's actually more likely that you will, uh, because as you age, your immune system starts dying from the time you're 15, and by the time you're – You're eight, you're 80, it's, it's, it's damn near dead and you, and you rely on the previous infections that you've seen throughout your lifetime. There are certain subsets of these cells that responded, you know, during a, a flu or a bacterial infection or whatever that will push you towards making these things called memory cells. And what's really cool is that the whole during your boost shot what you're trying to do is take your memory cell pool and make it much much larger and more robust so that you know i've had my second shot and i can tell you it laid me out in my bed for 2 days my yeah. arm like mike tyson just wound up and whacked me you know yeah. and like a you know a proper bone bruise
0: oh jeez <laughs>
1: No, it was it was bad, but I can tell you I know that that means I've got some damn good immunity. <laughs> sure. It. And I and and it kind of comes full circle where get your shot. It's not scary. The science has been done. It's not going to hurt you. They've already tested that in all these trials and I got my shot in a trial. So, I can tell you I'm willing to take experimental medications, yeah. you know. The thing is when people say, okay, I've gotten the flu, I've I've gotten sick from the flu shot, that's not true. Your immune system has produced symptoms similar to what happens when you do get sick, but all it's showing you is that either you saw a flu very similar to that previously in your life, that's most likely the explanation, and you coming back with that flu shot are basically giving yourself a boost. And that's why you're feeling ill. That's why you're feeling those symptoms. So you can't get sick from these
0: things. <laughs> okay. Okay. Couple of questions here. Sure. One, my wife has had both shots now too, because she yeah. works at Rose Hospital. She basically had no symptoms, nothing. Yeah. Um, does that mean she has less immunity?
1: I don't know that they've done that particular set of tests, you know, and experiments yet. There's a way to test. So there's ways to check the levels of antibody tighter so the amount of antibody that's present against the spike the viral spike protein my boss for instance who's significant he's in his mid-70s got he got a cocktail of different shots he was in a trial got an AstraZeneca adenoviral vector and then got the mRNA that and then the boost of that so he got super immune okay (laughs) and His antibody titers were through the roof. He was feeling pretty sick. So I don't know that there is a correlation, but I think it's important to note that if you do feel like you got sick or you do feel, you know, like it's hurting you and, you know, it's really knocking you out, then that's a very clear indication that you are immune. But I don't think in your wife's case, I don't think that that speaks to her being any less immune. Okay.
0: You could see why I'd ask
1: that. Sure. Um, no, absolutely. Because you
0: said, you know, you were knocked on your ass and you said, yeah, means I probably have great immunity now. Well, and so I feel compelled to ask, does it work the other way? Secondly, one of the things that people get concerned about is they feel like they're getting inve- uh, injected with the actual virus itself. Sure. So can you uh, address that? Yeah. Like, and and um, like how that works, how it's different. And if if you're not getting injected with the virus itself, what is that?
1: So during a normal flu vaccine, uh, most of the time it's a live attenuated virus. So one of the factors, one of the genes inside of it that makes it particularly virulent has been eliminated. But the integrity of the virus is kind of there because truthfully, it is the best form of the protein of the, you know, of the organism for your immune system to get a response against. It's a three dimensional structure, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, none of these viruses have a live virus associated with it. There's, there's an adenoviral vector, which is Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca are the two that I can think of, but there might be more that encode for something within the virus the same way as you know you have your mRNA that you're just putting in and then you're allowing your cells to make the protein none of these have a coronavirus associated with it there are just pieces either and and all of it really comes down to can we make an immune response against the spike protein so that we have antibodies that are floating around in our blood that will prevent it from attaching ourselves and ah. neutralize it. That's, that's kind of, so the short answer to your question, no, there is no coronavirus. You can't get infected. It's just pieces of it that are giving your immune system clues as to what to mount their response against. Okay. It's
0: like if, if you gave someone just a spark plug, they suddenly don't have an engine, right? Correct. So that's, a,
1: that's a great way to think about it.
0: Okay. So, um, and then the third question is, you said, as your, your immune system starts deteriorating by the time you're 15. Sure. And your body, uh, if it's seen lots of infections, has memory cells continue to fight, uh, those yep. things. Is this why you cannot kill Keith Richards?
1: <laughs> oh, that and all the cocaine and, you know. All- all uh, all, of the, uh, all of those one-night stands and whatever else he was doing. I, I cannot
0: uh, imagine how many infections he has had.
1: No. So, uh, may... I, 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 would, I would think he's immune to just about everything. I don't know <laughs> if he's had COVID yet. That'd probably be worth knowing. <laughs> yeah, we
0: we should test him. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like if we need to repopulate the human race, first person I'm calling is former NFL cornerback Antonio Cromartie. <laughs> um <laughs> who has had I think two vasectomies and two children after both of those vasectomies.
1: And probably all of the CTE. Um, you know, <laughs> so
0: just unbelievable amount of fertility in that man. Keith Richards <laughs> seems
1: resistant to infection.
0: Well, he still has
1: he still doesn't he have little, small little children running around with his <laughs> supermodel ex what or new wife or whatever. <laughs> that I, I am
0: not up on my Keith Richards news. Um, sure. but it's still early in the day, so I'll get on that this <laughs> afternoon. <give> <laughs> but, um, okay. There are, poten- so that's one reason people are potentially hesitant to get vaccinated on this. It's new. You mentioned to me at one point that the process of this development was really, really interesting because I think one of the other things that's giving people hesitancy is it happens so fast. You know, we talk about how long sure. it takes to, to make a vaccine for something. You know, for instance, how long has HIV been around? There isn't like a, just a like a one shot vaccine for it.
1: No. Definitely
0: um, and so this comes along. People have a little skepticism. It's like, well, how could you do it that fast? So can you delve into that a little bit?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so the story behind this is actually uh, it's an American tale in a lot of ways. So we are the melting pot. Right. And I think we all forget that. Um, From time to time, especially with someone like Trump in office, making you think that, you know, you know, being the white man is the, you know, the all powerful. And in some instances, it's, you know, it it proves to be the case. But well, and
0: and I can tell you again, let me let me just reiterate this. The tone set from the top really does matter.
1: I don't know. Maybe maybe you can equate it to, you know, the American dream. You've got an immigrant. A female immigrant from the Ukraine, and I I should know her name, she had been interested in mRNA vaccines and, you know, deriving them for some time using different coronaviruses. And this is another thing. Coronaviruses are not uncommon by any means. Children are infected with corona and rhinoviruses all the time. And that might be one of the reasons that children have, you know, less uh, intense effects from this because maybe they have cross reactivity. But anyway, well, and, um, Bre- and
0: Brendan, let me just bridge off of that because I can yeah. tell you when I took my first daughter to daycare sure. for four months, my wife and I were just sick constantly because <laughs> she she's bringing home all sorts of new stuff. So it was from September through January. That w- was one of the worst stretches of my entire life, so when you say that it 's like she 's getting exposed to all this new stuff because she 's all of a sudden around all these kids, no matter how much they try to sanitize it they 're taking stuff they 're putting it in their mouth it 's horrifying absolutely um, but now i mean ever since we 've had both kids you know going to school and going to daycare. Man, I we've we felt pretty good overall. Like, I, I all of our immune systems are pretty strong at this point. But, man, the first go, yuck. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with I mean, you on that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it it's definitely a cesspool when you start bringing your uh, <laughs> your small children to go play with all their friends. But it's a good thing. That
0: a, a little toddler petri dish.
1: Yes, and it's, and that, that kind of comes down to this whole concept of the hygiene hypothesis and letting your kids be dirty and letting them get, you know, sick to, a, you know, a, not to an extreme, right? Nothing, everything needs to find a balance, but it's important and you will reap the benefits of that immunity when you're older. Those in memory cells, you know, they're seeing these things, these coronaviruses and they're basically getting their boost. You know, their second shot when they see COVID, they're saying, Oh, this is similar. Mm -hmm. This is a really similar thing. I just need to tweak this little part of the immune response and I can clear this thing pretty quickly. Right. But anyway, back to the story of how this, how this all unfolded.
0: Yes. By Um, all means.
1: So for more than a decade, maybe almost even two, you've got this person, this scientist who struggled struggled to get funding, struggled to, you know, have people see the light, you know, academic science is a rigorous, very, very tough industry, because you have your peers constantly telling you yes or no, I am or I'm not going to fund you. And it's if they didn't feel like reading your grant, which you'd hope to think this doesn't happen. But you know, it does. Everyone's busy. We get it. Then you're not going to get funded and you might not, you know, you might miss out on a huge funding gap and may have to fire someone, you know, with a family even.
0: But. Well, and uh, Brendan, I want to talk about the rigor real quick too, because in my own limited way, getting a master's degree in communications. Yeah. You think about what it takes to get published. And that is you're making an, uh, a rhetorical argument. Uh, that is to say an argument about rhetoric yeah. um, or about rhetorical analysis. Yeah. And people will tear you down and not publish you and say, say things like, you know, you're not citing Kenneth Burke correctly. And so, like, and when you think about it in those terms, it's kind of silly. But if you can apply that little bit of knowledge to things that are really important, like, say, viral immunology, that level of rigor really starts to matter and really starts to pay off. And so, to your point, it is a tough, tough field. And I only have just a small little keyhole into looking into it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm I mean, with you on that. In all fairness, any form of academic publishing, I'm going to go out there and say I have the utmost respect because everyone is a little bit different. The process is a little bit, you know, altered. But at the end of the day, if you get yourself published, you know, and you're, and you've worked that hard and you, you know, you, you've gone through the trenches, I mean, good on you my, my stuff might seem, you know, hard, but it's what I'm interested in. Right. Right. Public speaking and, and, and thinking about rhetoric, that's hard to me. Right. <laughs> and, and that's, and, and, and you are, you know, you know, smooth as, you know, smooth as glass. So it's like, I think that everyone's got their, their little niche and, you know, find it and, you know, work with what you got.
0: 100%. So getting back to this story, she uh struggled to get funding.
1: Struggled to get funding, and so she, what, what? Her whole concept was okay. So um, this is coming down really to to the you know the Pfizer Moderna vaccine, which is really what everyone's being given right now. RNA is a trigger for the immune system, and like when because the immune system would see would see RNA that's outside of a cell as something that's very you know alarming. And it would say, okay, is there a virus here? Do I need to get rid of this? And, I, and you know, it's going to hyperactivate the immune system, like a, a, a primal version of it. It's called innate immunity. And um, what she thought to do was, okay, RNA is unstable. And if I put it in and I, you know, hyperactivate the immune system, it's going to make it more unstable and it's going to get rid of all of it. So what can I do? I don't want to activate the immune system. So she changed the codons, so the the genetic material by which RNA is transcribed into, and she, she changed that so that the immune system doesn't see it and it inherently makes it more stable. So that was like the first really cool thing that came out of this. But this was a long time ago. This is more than a decade ago that she's doing this work. Because she's foreseeing this happening and being able to utilize it, For an mRNA vaccine. So she makes a couple different versions of these mRNA vaccines for mouse models and whatnot. And it shows promise. And eventually she, you know, after persisting and really, you know, struggling, you know, and, and that's, that is a norm, that's normal. But, you know, being 20 years ago or whatever, a woman in science was very difficult. And I've, you know, had the opportunity with uh, my bo- my boss, my bosses are a husband and wife team. And they're both in their seventies. So I love hearing about the, you know, the gender bias in academia, because really you think of old gray head men, right? Uh-huh. And that's an Always. unfortunate reality. And, you know, the women who pioneered and spearheaded efforts like this, are, you know, it's same, same with how we all, you know, we all come back to the fact that, you know, women are stronger than men. And I think absolutely any, anyone who's had a child or, you know, had a, you know, a mother or a grandmother or whatever knows that that's the case. And I think we can all appreciate that, but she didn't give up. And this persistence led to Moderna saying, Hey, you know, let's take this technology, take the spike protein mRNA, change the way it looks to the immune system and make this vaccine. And it's, so it's not this short one-year process. It was the backbone and fundamentals that this is built upon is many decades of hard work where people weren't believing in it. And guess what? That woman is now in not single-handedly but one of the main contributors to starting to put the brakes on a global pandemic you know and that you know good honor right i mean that's amazing
0: it it reminds me of almost any celebrity you've ever heard of right yeah. they always say 10 year overnight success because there's all this toiling in the shadows in the background no one's paying attention to you no one's buying what you're selling and then all of a sudden something happens and it all kind of clicks into place and it's like where did this come from this is brand new you know like if you're on the outside looking in it's sort of like someone flicked a light switch but it's yeah. like no you know what i did i rewired that entire wall <laughs> so that when you did flip that switch the lights would come on and it would be amazing yeah. and, and so like analogy that is like that's such a that's such a cool story because It also speaks to why we fund sciences, you know, because we never know when we're going to need it. It's almost like having an insurance policy or, for instance, funding a, uh, I don't know, global pandemic response team (laughs) that that might be useful. But I remember back in, say, January, probably January, maybe even early February, I started hearing about coronavirus, right?
1: Yeah, over and, in Wuhan,
0: yeah. And here's what I started to take for, or here's what I took for granted at the time. Someone asked me if I was concerned about it, and I said, not really. I mean, like, SARS was a thing, you know, like, what, 10 sure. or 15 it, years but ago? But it
1: maintained, you know, regionally and whatever. Right.
0: Yeah. I'm like, it, it, that's not something that happens here. What I did not know was in the background. The reason it didn't happen here was because we actually funded people who looked out for this stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and so, contact tracing and making sure that, okay, that guy is actually a businessman from America and may or may not have come in contact, right. but we're not going to let him back home.
0: Right. Or like, uh, you know, there's a bunch of birds getting sick uh, in this part of the world. Let's uh, let's kill those birds. You know, like that kind of thing just happened without us even knowing. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is kind of amazing. And, and it reminds me of my own job. There's a glamour part of doing public communications and doing p r There's all the other stuff that no one ever sees and no one will ever see, but it's like you have no idea how much went into this and you just articulated a really beautiful story about that
1: well thanks yeah it's uh if everything you thought about you know you you, you took a step back and were to say you know i I have a product in my hand, okay, the amount of time, effort, and thought that goes into those things even from the Hershey kiss all the way to a Ferrari. And now let's, you know, somewhere in between with a coronavirus vaccine. It's like, you're not the expert because the internet told you so. You, you know, there are experts working on this stuff. Scientists who have dedicated their lives to a given trade, not because of the pay, but because of their inherent curiosity of how things work. You know, take your misinformation and information with a grain of salt. If you can't get a direct link to a scientific publication that's hard for you to read, then you're probably (laughs) not reading something that is, you know, peer reviewed. Yeah, that's worthwhile. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's a that's a really fair point. I'm I'm curious. I want to go back to something you said very early on, and I'm going to pivot this back to you real quick. All right. And it's that. You didn't necessarily think that this was going to be your path, but it sounds like you're always interested in science, always interested in biology. You, uh, you kind of fell in love with your boss and talked them out of retirement. Yeah. What set you on this path? What was it that, that made you kind of pursue science? Because I can tell you what's really funny. I've worked in energy development in my PR career quite a bit. One of my worst subjects in school was always science as a result of doing energy pr it meant i was explaining science to people constantly um whether it was geology or you know uh, whatever else right what was it about this that drew you to it were you, were you into this as a kid did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up or what was the path like for you
1: my my mom was a nurse my dad was a logger very different yeah. path you know very much you know a self self-made person and heavily relied you know through college on my mom kind of tutoring him and whatnot and i think he i think he ended up getting a good degree in psychology which i i think you know overall you could kind of see glimpses in the way that he interacted with people but i would say good teachers and that's why education is so incredibly important and you know the fact that it's not an equal asset you know um for every single person is is kind of you know as upsetting as it is, but having a couple people advocate for you through the way. Um, I mean, I, I was always interested. My grandmother used to say this. I would always ask her so many questions, and she was so kind. And the same, gra- uh, John's grandmother as well. She would get to a point where she'd say, "Well, are you writing a book? Why don't you make it a mystery?" <laughs> and, <laughs> And, you know, she, this would be after 45 minutes straight of me hammering her with questions just after a question. And, you know, I, I think that my brother is an engineer and it was, and, and John Connolly, you know, always, I could have, you know, always assumed he was an aerospace engineer or, or an architect or an artist because he does all of those things, you know, right, yeah. he, equally well. And one of his paintings is right here. Is, um, is that
0: like the blue and gold macaw? That's his.
1: Yeah, so there's actually many birds in here. Well, my, um, my
0: eye goes to the blue and gold macaw cause that's my favorite bird. Yes. And so, yeah, no, there's like an owl in there. And I mean, this, this is going to make for great podcasting. Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that painting is incredible.
1: But, um, it's, uh, it really and truly, it's, it's, it's just having people who advocate for you, but you also, as you get older, it's important to advocate for yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, You become your own best advocate and which in some ways can be really difficult. Right. If someone hasn't been teaching you through the years. But I remember specifically in in high school, my biology teacher senior year, she came in and her husband was a scientist. She was a chemist and she decided she wanted to get out of the lab to a Ph.D. in chemistry. So she was, you know, a, a a really impressive scientist, but she said, you know, I really like teaching. And her son was in the school at that time. He was a year younger than me. Her husband actually researched diabetes at the university of Connecticut. And she brought in mice, live mice and showed us, you know, the process of like, you know, you know, doing an injection or doing whatever, and then, you know, dissecting them and just in a way Opened up the idea that if you're interested in biology, you don't have to be a doctor. Hmm. You can, you can go. I mean, that's what, and that's kind of what I had been told. Like, oh, you like, you know, you like thinking about biology. You should go, you know, be a medical doctor. You know, I think that would have been a really interesting life choice. I'm also not sure I would have gotten into medical school. I wasn't the greatest student. Um, <laughs> regardless, she opened up the idea and told me, yeah, hey, you can go. Uh, you can become a scientist. You can go study you know, why factor X has, you know, this effect on this, you know, body system or whatever. then in college, I had, you know, a professor who did the same thing. I I just, it's teachers. That's all it is. It's good teachers. And I have so much respect for them, especially as I start trying to teach, you know, lessons and, and show my, my kids myself, you know, how to do things. It's incredibly difficult, you know, the patient's, the amount of PR, communication skills, <laughs> knowledge base that comes into teaching is, is really, it's probably sits at the top for me, pinnacle wise in terms of like what, who, who draws you in?
0: Well, I, I mean, I'll tell you this, and I don't think I've ever told this story on the show before. I've, I've talked about my own journey, how I went from being a business major to a communications major, but when I was teaching public speaking when I was in graduate school, so I taught that for two years, I would have 24 or, like, I was either teaching one or two sections at a time. So I would either have 24 or 48 kids at, you know, any given semester. And, you know, I'm evaluating all their speeches. I'm trying to inspire them, trying to make them less fearful and more skilled at public speaking. And there was this one kid in the class who, I can't remember his name. Uh, I want to say it was Jeremy But he told this great story in one of his speeches about being at, like, some church retreat and, like, chugging this orange juice. And he got the nickname Tampico because it was Tampico orange juice. So I just started calling him Tampico in the class, and and the whole (laughs) class was into that. He came up to me, like, after he was out of my class, he's like, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but after taking your class, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really came out of my shell. I switched my major to this. And so he became a major in the discipline I was teaching. That was, like, the most flattering thing that's ever happened to me. Because, <laughs> like, dude, like, yeah. you when you inspire someone like that, you set them on a path, you become an inflection point in their life. And so you can point to those people. Maybe by doing this show, you inspire someone by, you know, they're like, oh, wow, immunology and, like, working in the background and figuring out new ways of using mRNA, like, you know, you never know when you're going to be someone else's inflection point, And that's so cool.
1: You're getting the opportunity to be that for someone and, and, and be a, like a silent champion is, is yeah, it's really powerful stuff because at the end of the day, we set an example for future generations. Right. And, you know, if, if, if that's your legacy, then damn, I, I'd be pretty happy with that.
0: No joke, man. I'm with you. You got kids of your own, right? Yeah. Yeah. How old are they?
1: going to be two on St. Patrick's day and then three and a
0: half. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because we're like, we're similar, like 20 months apart. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, it's to go- it, It's going to get better. Um, I can tell you that because my kids are six and four and a half and like the older they get, the more they, they sort of play together and the more you go, okay, now I remember why we did this. Like, (laughs) because from why did I do this? (laughs) Yeah, no joke, man. It's, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's all, uh, it's all worth it. It's all valuable.
1: It's incredible. Yeah. You, uh, nurture the, the why in children because they ask why. why, All the time. Every time I'm, I'm like, you know, or, you know, why do you want me to do that? Well, instead of, I you know, cause I told you so, sometimes you break down and that's what you say, whatever, I get it. Well, you know, and, and
0: sometimes mean? it's like, because it's cold outside, alright, now just
1: put your <laughs> damn coat on. <laughs> Literally, like, I don't want you to get frostbite, you know, like, what do you, and, and then what, what is that? Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> and it's, but, you know, the minute you stop answering those questions for your kids, you know, is the, is the minute you've kind of, I don't know, Stop being their champion, right?
0: Well, yeah, and you've yeah. Sh- you've shut a door on them unnecessarily.
1: Yeah, because curiosity, man, don't ever, don't ever put out that fire, because that is yeah. what drives the world around.
0: Yeah, don't don't shortchange the curiosity, one hundred percent. All right, well, I'll tell you what, Brendan, this has been enormously informative and wildly entertaining. Uh, I I could t- <laughs> I could talk to you uh, all day if we wanted to, but I know we both got things to do. Uh So this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Is there anything you'd like to plug any any place where you can point people where they can find you or uh anything you want to plug, man? Do it. Do it now.
1: Sure. Um I would plug you to when you're using your Google search engine for uh looking up things about coronavirus and or any other science you're interested in. Go to Google Scholar. OK,
0: that's something I didn't even know existed. How embarrassing is that for me?
1: So it's basically just, you know, it 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 gives you a direct link away from uh, you know, just internet bogus and which there's a lot of good stuff on the internet. I don't want to like, you know, fully disengage people from it, but Yeah, you're not I painting wanna, with it, a
0: super broad brush there, but you're right, there's a lot of crap out there.
1: This will bring you to only peer-reviewed articles, only to scientific publications, whatever where the research in there has been examined by experts and deemed to be fit, you know? <laughs> and I think that that is a good spot. And what's my other plug? I, I think maybe more just like a public service announcement. Be kind. Just be a kind. Just be kind to each other and listen. You know, listen to what other people have to say. What is it? Uh, Jimi Hendrix said something. Knowledge speaks, but lis- wisdom listens. I think that uh, I think there's a there's a lot of important thought that can go into that. And, you know, I'm a talker. I try to slow down and and think and, you know, and listen a bit better. But, yeah, if we can all do a little bit more of that, listen to the experts.
0: (laughs) Well, and one one thing I'll say, uh, there's a deleted scene in Pulp Fiction. (laughs) <laughs> where she's interviewing, uh, Uma Thurman's interviewing John Travolta, and she asks him just a series of questions. Are you an Elvis man or a Beatles man? But once she asks him, do you listen or do you wait to talk? And he said, I wait to talk, but I'm trying harder to listen. And I think that's something we could all, all probably do a little bit better. It's something that I, I can tell you by virtue of doing this show has made me a good listener because I'm having people on who know tons about stuff that i know nothing about and if i'm not listening the show is gonna suck <laughs> and so just by virtue I, I mean there's some self-interest there but i will tell you uh it has really had great application in real life too so i'm I'm with you 100 percent. just listen more and talk less
1: that's it and i really i thank you for the opportunity man this has been uh this has been really fun and uh, i look forward to Seeing who you get on the show next.
0: Hell yeah, man. Well, Brendan, big shout out to John. Thanks for hooking us up. Uh, thanks for taking the time, man. And in whatever you do next, thank you for what you do. And I wish you continued success.
1: Thanks. You too. Have a good one, man.
0: And that'll do it for episode 281 of the John of All Trades podcast with Brendan Reed, postdoctoral fellow at UC Anschutz, specializing in immunology. And what a guy. He didn't even have any self-serving plugs. Just listen more. And if you're doing scientific research, use Google Scholar. Amazing. Proud of this show. Hope you got a lot out of it. John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Got an idea for a podcast? I can produce it for you I'll not only help you conceptualize it and all the questions that you're not thinking about that you need to answer, but I can help you get it off the ground as well. I also do a traditional suite of PR activities, so any message you're trying to get out there, I can help you deploy it. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Stay up with me on social media. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram all across the platforms. Episode previews go up on Monday. That's Facebook only. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of the other podcatchers, no matter where you get your pods, please rate, review, and subscribe. All of those things help the visibility of the John Trades podcast. I've already got next week's episode in the can, so I promise we're going to be coming to you with great content. It's someone whose career I have followed for a long time, someone I'm very excited about, so I can't wait to bring it to you. Until then, please be kind to each other. Please be kind to yourselves. Wear your damn mask. The light is at the end of the tunnel. This episode helps with that. Wash your damn hands. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.